We need to eat the rude because there's just so many rudes out there. Did I tell you that my Hannibal cookbook arrived? You did tell me that. And I'm I'm one of those people where I've heard a thing where it's like you can tell the character of a person by how they react to someone else getting good news. And are they happy for you? Or are they like, I'm so you hate fucking me? jealous and I hate you and my life is miserable and I want a Hannibal cookbook. But I'd say... <laughs> That doesn't have to be the case. Why can't it be column A and column B? Like, I'm really happy for you, but I also want to kill you and take the book for myself. That's what real friendship is. Yeah. Honesty mm -hmm. and a good, healthy mixture of love and hate. Yeah, honesty and aggression. I made the first recipe today. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so upset. <laughs> it was the protein scramble that he first makes for Will. <gasps> it was so tasty oh. i will i'll send you the recipe um, the, fucking i'll send you the recipe fuck you <laughs> i was just so charming swanning about the kitchen going tell me will are you ready to break a few eggs <laughs> when you are in the kitchen and you have to break the eggs to make the omelet sometimes it makes a mess tell me will how does your life become a mess <laughs> This is why we all need this cookbook. Yeah. Oh, I do. I, I want it. But let me tell you the cookbook that I have, because it's a YouTube mm -hmm. channel that I'm obsessed with called You Suck at Cooking. And this mm -hmm. person's humor is just precisely my humor. He's super dry and deadpan, and it's really weird. So the recipes are really delicious and amazing, but he just does it in like the most hilarious way. Like sometimes he's just like fucking around in the woods and it's like to get the you have to get like the wild, the British muffins. And he's like, ah, here here's like a really ripe one and he like picks a muffin from a tree. And it's just so fucking <laughs> amazing and so his cookbook is just like sarcastic it's bullshit it's hilarious to read and then also it's really delicious so you've got the fancy hannibal suave debonair book and i've got this stupid mm. fucking around <laughs> idiotic book for jerks i've got to admit there are recipes in the cannibal cookbook <laughs> where i'm the, the hannibal cookbook where it's like buy some veal hearts and i'm like look I am not that fancy. I like warmed up pizza. Yes. Basically. <laughs> warmed up. Oh, warmed up. Let's get the carriage for her highness. So I'm not too sure about eating lungs and tongues and hearts, but you know, baby steps. Yes. You'll get up from there. The good thing about the Yusuke cooking, cooking channel and book is that he kind of wanted to design it around shit that you already would have in your cupboard or mm. things that's like you should have this not like a lot of recipes where it's like and then get out of the saffron it's like no one has saffron fuck you i have saffron i, I also have saffron but fuck you <laughs> fuck us i hate the fact that i have saffron you're a bit quiet by the way i don't know if you need to raise up your i never thought i'd say like you're a bit quiet today jess it's weird because as you shriek about you know fuck you to people who have saffron i think like the levels are super mean not being quiet so i don't know like you're a bit crackly in my ears i don't know if it's maybe a connection thing this is going to work yay everything is 
great forever. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Everything is awful forever. Except my cooking. I'm Philippa Evans, and I'm learning to carve beautiful tomato roses with which to entrance my guests who I will later eat. I'm Jessica Byrne. You need to grab your wang jangler, wang jangle it, and then turn your undo to far hundo and mwah. Mwah. Tell me, Philippa. Now it's time for you to tell me tell thing. I try to fold it into like the Hannibal thing. My brain isn't working. This is going to be fun. This is the comedy <laughs> podcast where I can't think of anything funny to say. Although I now demand that for the rest of this podcast, you just interject with, tell me, Philippa, pithy comments. <laughs> or, and what if you're wrong, Will? <laughs> There's like a tweet or something that was hilarious where Willy Wonka's like, who has... Who has taken my fizzy floating whiz juice? And Hannibal floating around the ceiling goes, and what if you're wrong? (laughs) I should not have put beer in my mouth at that point. (laughs) So, Jess, you know people, those people, who love to hang out in libraries and secondhand bookstores enjoying that old book smell. You. You? (sighs) It actually isn't me. Oh. I like new book smell. I like the most recent publications with the most up-to-date forwards. And like the smell of glue, which I sniff incessantly going... (sighs) Gets me high. (laughs) Old book smell people are a bit creepy to me. Mm. Maybe because what I'm suggesting is that what they're really enjoying is the smell of preserved human skin, you honest-to-God psychopaths. (laughs) Mm. Not really. Um, Just in case anybody's suddenly like, Oh my God, have I been sniffing people? This goes straight to the top. I would join you in that, except that I'm still coughing, so every time I try, I just end up hulking out my lungs. That's fine. Which I need. For my Hannibal cookbook. It's like, you know, that thing where it's like farm to table. What's more farm to table than your own lung? So the old book smell that people like to huff actually comes from lignin, which is present in wood-based paper. And like, as the book ages and the chemical compounds break down, the smell is released. And apparently lignin is very similar to vanillin, which means the book smell of vanilla. Wholesome. Huh. Philippa, I have no idea what your topic is going to be about. Don't you? Are you just fucking around and just be like, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I just want to talk about books that I like. My topic is books bound in human skin. <gasps> or more correctly, human leather, I guess. <gasps> so the title of this episode, which you don't know yet, Jess, but which I have planned, is a bit of a lie. But I've been reading a lot of Clive Barker lately, and I couldn't resist. And is this why you're talking about Hannibal? It puts the lotion on its skin, Buffalo Bill. Tell me, Will. (laughs) I have to admit that my interests have kind of been converging lately. So I've been reading books on human skin, and I've got my Hannibal cookbook. And I'm like, well, once you've harvested the lungs... You might as well make use of the skin. So it's like in for a penny, in for a pound, you know. A flesh. You can only get so much so wet. (coughs) A flesh. I'm also going to add that this episode was inspired by a friend of mine, Fossey, who recommended to me the book Dark Archives by Megan Rosenblum. Mm. Just any book with a human skull on the cover. I'm, yes. I'm just, I like to sniff it. Oh, I'm a dirty sucker for that also. So I used a couple of other books and articles, but this was the main text that I used. So thank you very much, Fossey. The proper name for books bound in human skin, by the way, is Anthrop... <sighs> Damn it, Philippa, mm. you fucked up. 
<laughs> you, you, you done fucked it. You were all gonna be the proper name. It needs to be reminded that the proper name for it is flat. Fuck. It is a truth universally universally. <laughs> oh no. Oh, you were gonna be so smart. Tell me, Philippa, how does that make you feel? <laughs> so the proper name for books found in human skin is Anthropodermic Bibliopegy. Yay! Which is that's, a bit of a mouthful. I think that's a really good drag name. Anthropodermic Bibliopegy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh. But if you ever want to ask a library where they keep the skin books, use the word Anthropodermic Bibliopegy because it will help you to not sound like a person ob- obsessed with art fashioned out of human remains. You'll instead sound like a smart person who's not a psychopath. I want to like burst in and then stride up and tell me where the and then take off my sunglasses and say anthropodermic bibliopegy and then make uncomfortable amounts of eye contact i just you know stumble in and go where's the skin books (laughs) where's the anthropopathic fuck and then you just leave (laughs) i put my sunglasses back on turn around (laughs) and go so just out of interest jess what books would you bind in human skin? I assume that you would because of our mutual skull obsession. Like, I don't oh, yes. feel I have to ask. Hmm. Well, I think probably what I consider to be a masterpiece, Akira. Hmm. You thought I was going to make a joke about it, but like, no. Imagine like opening the disgusting skin tome and then inside is a weird cyberpunk 80s romp about sex and <laughs> drugs and shit. And it's cool as hell appropriate. I think for a lot of people, the transgressive nature of human skin books makes them think of sex. So like maybe the Marquis de Sade or the occult. And people keep talking about the Necronomicon and I don't think that they know that it's not real. But Although whilst we're talking about cookbooks, I really, really want the Omnomnomicon. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. It's on my wish list. Every time I edit an episode, you're mentioning a new cookbook to me, and then I have to buy it, and then you get jealous, and one day you're going to murder me for my cookbooks. It is just like I'm buying it through you, and then when you die, <laughs> and I'm in your will. Tell, tell me, me will. will. <laughs> oh, finger guns, finger guns, finger guns. So most of the time, human skin is binding far less interesting books, because most of the skin-stealing perpetrators, I've learned, were 1800s gentlemen doctors. There's only one skin book that I know of, and you're mm-hmm. probably going to cover it, so mm-hmm. uh, I'll be like, aha, I knew it all along when you get there. Okay, I think I might get there, because mm-hmm. I think I know what you're talking about. So I've got a bet that I know which one it is, and if mm-hmm. I win, then you have to buy me the Om Nom Nomicon. Okay, let's, uh, I'll write it in an envelope, and then we'll open it at the end. <laughs> I love that we can't see each other, so I- you could just be writing like, Philippa is a stupid. I'm literally like, I've got a, p- a toilet roll next to me, <laughs> I've just like, <laughs> written it on there. It was difficult to decide where to begin with books bound in human leather, because the subject introduces a lot of questions. The main one being, why? (laughs) But there are some who's, what's, when's, and how's in there as well. But this is Everything's Awful Forever, so let's begin with a story. Mary Lynch was a 28-year-old Irish immigrant who in 1868 was admitted into the Philadelphia Almshouse and Hospital, more commonly known as Old Blockley. 
Mary had tuberculosis, you see, but not the fancy rich people tuberculosis mm. that makes you pretty and good and virtuous. Ah, the dirty, stinky kind. The poor people tuberculosis. I think at that period they called it, and I can't pronounce this, phthisis? Phthisis? <laughs> it doesn't sound sexy. No. It was technically the same tuberculosis as the rich people tuberculosis, except that, you know, she's poor, so nobody wanted any diseases that Mary had to offer. Which was a pity, because she actually had more than one. Ooh. You know the best kind of meat sandwiches? The, si the kind that they, like, show the recipes for in Yusaka Cooking? Yes. <laughs> the ones that have little white specks in the meat? Mm. Otherwise known as roundworm? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's delicious, yes. In addition to the tuberculosis, Mary also developed a severe case of trichinosis, a parasitic infection that you can get from not eating properly cooked meat. These two diseases wasted away her body and she died within a year, weighing only 60 pounds, which means nothing to me because I'm South African, so that's 27 kilograms. Oh, and that means nothing to me because I'm British, so I, I'm, I'm super lost. That's why there has to be a dual language edition of this podcast, because we just don't understand each other. <laughs> So her autopsy was performed by a man called John Stockton Howe, who observed that her pectoral muscles were covered in cysts teeming uh, with the parasite. Uh, he cut her open and was like, that's interesting. Oh, by the way, I've just Googled it also while you were talking is 60 pounds. It's like four stone. Oh my God, that's so skinny. What the fuck? And most of it was worms. Oh, no. But while this is all horrifying, and I just included it so that you'd never eat again, mm -hmm. it's not the subject of this episode. You know I'm having a fucking barbecue later. <laughs> just make sure you cook it properly. <laughs> because in addition to observing the parasite that Mary Lynch had been host to, John Howe also decided that Mary just, she had such lovely skin. Oh. Maybe it was the beautifying effects of tuberculosis after all. Mm. And liking her skin, he just, you know... Removed it from her thighs. Oh, God, the thighs. Mm, the softest, prettiest area. The milky whites. So this skin he stored in a chamber pot, while the rest of Mary's body was just dumped in a pauper's grave. Oh, my God. Her skin was tanned into leather, and decades later, John Howe was like, Oh, yeah, I've got some human skin just knocking about the place. Guess I'd better use it. And he used the skin to bind three medical volumes on women's health and reproduction. <laughs> Just to be ironic, I suppose. <laughs> As he did so, he was like, <laughs> the same kind of laugh I get when I think of a good pun. <laughs> These weren't the only books that John Howard bind in human skin, and he wasn't the only doctor or person, I guess, are doctors really people, I don't know, <laughs> to do so. What interests me is the way in which we, who live in the quote-unquote Western world, like to paint other people and civilizations as savage, yeah. all the while we've elbow-deep in gore, stripping skin off of poor people, going, <laughs> but the other people are savages. <laughs> I'm not just referring to war crimes, which is a discussion of its own, perhaps, but just day-to-day -day life, really. Mm. Nobody back then seems to have batted even an eyelid at, like, the cognitive dissonance of the whole thing. And just, the history all gets lost. Nobody taught me about human skin books in school. It's like that thing of we, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by our actions. And so, it's like, they've got a human skin book because they're savages! I have a human skin book because, you know, I'm a really good person, actually, and yeah, I deserve it. I have a human skin book because I 
I have a delicious sense of poetic irony. <laughs> so tell me, Will, are you ready to be a savage? I mean, you had British people gnawing on mummies. Tell me, Will, who was your mummy? <laughs> Chowing down on skull moss, quaffing blood, all of this, all the way through to the Victorian period. And I mean, you had 1800s British and American people, gentlemanly bibliophiles, binding books in human flesh, all the way to the 1920s at least. Oh my but God. we still just think it's Brazilian tribes and psychopaths. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about skin lamps, they're like, oh, Ed Gain, he made a suit out of his mother's vagina or something. But 1800s doctors were doing pretty similar things. As they were writing it down in their medical journal that was made of skin. <laughs> Savages. Barely even human. All of Disney's um, books are written in human skin books. <laughs> so Megan Rosenblum talks a fair bit about the clinical gaze of medical professionals and how their trade and the growing distance between doctor and patient might desensitize them into seeing human bodies as just eh, so much raw material. Mm, yeah. And I guess the fact that a woman's body was exploited in such a way is both horrifying and deeply, deeply unsurprising. Yeah. Another book with a Latin title that tran that I'm not going to say because apparently I can't say words today. Yes. But it translates to notes regarding the integrity and deflowering of virgins. Okay. Is also allegedly bound in a woman's skin. Oh, good. Good. I say allegedly because not everybody consents to having their human skin book tested. Huh, yeah. It's funny how some people are like, yes, 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 I want the human skin book, let it be skin, please, please, I want it. <laughs> and other people are like, mm, no, it's, it's just better not to know. Or the other way where it's like, I've got a human skin, yes, yes, yes. And then you don't want to find out that this entire time it's been the lowly, disgusting pig skin. And you're like, I'm so disappointed. It's so disappointing that it's some other creature's skin, though. <laughs> when you think about leather, it is pretty disgusting. And yet we're like, mmm, yes, I want to cover my body in its mmm mm, skin. I can't really talk. I have a real fur coat. It's a <gasps> rabbit fur that I bought vintage. It already existed, so it's like, I'm gonna buy it. Don't ever buy new fur, but it feels amazing, <laughs> but I'm really sad when I... <laughs> Cancelled, Jess. I know, I know, Canceled. this is it. This is the one thing we said in <laughs> the cannibal episodes and the rabbit birthing episode. This is it. You've mm -hmm. done it. That I have a fur coat. Can't unfuck this dog. <laughs> so sometimes the skin book is actually consensual. The French astronomical writer Camille Flammarion once complimented a countess on her skin, and she was like... <laughs> Of this whole thing? You can have it. <laughs> she was dying of tuberculosis, and she was just so enchanted with Flammarion oh that she requested that her skin be given to him and used to bind his latest work when she died. That's... <sighs> it's weird. So she died in 1882, and the doctor, um, I can't remember his name because I didn't write it down, but he produced this roll of human skin, gave it to Flammarion, and was like, I flayed a beautiful unknown lady moments after her passing. Oh Here's her skin. And Flammarion was like, I... I don't want it. <laughs> he he oh, did. No. He was apparently so moved by it that he did bind his next work in his skin, and life was weird back then. Who's gonna say? Like, I think human parts 
were a bit more, they weren't as squeamish back then. Like it was quite common to have jewelry made of someone's hair and teeth. Mm. And in fact, we had this um, online pub quiz thing. And one of my friends was like, why haven't you made jewelry out of human teeth yet? And my my reply was, well, provide me with the human teeth and I'll make it. And she was like, <laughs> mm, touche. But human body part jewelry and items are a lot more common then, I guess. It's sometimes hard to separate fact from fiction because there are all these rumors about books bound from human flesh during the French Revolution and aristocrats making pants out of people's skin. And <laughs> I didn't really include it because I couldn't, it didn't seem true. Yeah. But I also want to believe that it was. Yeah. Like there was one anecdote about a man who um, had a woman who stole something from him, like some petty thief. He had her skin made into some trousers. And he was like, yes, she was a rogue. And then he spanks his own skin butt and is like, but I've got her now. <sighs> and I was like, that's not real. I think horror movies have really ruined me as well, because like hair and skin, when you picture human or like, yeah, human leather, you just picture this like, like it's just skin and it's got like moles and like hairs mm. coming off it when it's probably just like like pig leather just leather you know that's pretty much it like you wouldn't know to look at it that it was human skin because it just looks like leather really yeah the fake ones are generally the ones that look most humany yeah like i think there's a fake one out there called like the love of woman's breasts and it's got a nipple on the front mm. But it's not real. So I guess around the 1800s, people enjoyed the metaphor of human skin that once enclosed the human soul, which now encloses a book, which is like a soul, because all books go to heaven, maybe? <laughs> Except for the Da Vinci Code, because fuck that book in particular. Oh my god, yeah. Regardless, most human leather books are likely not made with the consent of the skin donor. And there's a number of opinions about what we should do with these books, now that we know that they exist. But first... How do they exist? Mm. Since you have mentioned the leather process. I think that you took a look at tanning in our Victorian Jobs episode, and it's nasty. Oh, nasty. yes. The chemicals involved. John Howe, who stole Mary Lynch's thigh skin, wrote that he tanned it in a chamber pot. Although that's really just the first step of the tanning process, which is curing the leather, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's possible that he would have pickled the skin in urine, since the acid and salt in the urine preserves the skin and keeps it safe from fungus and bacteria. Mm. He or someone else might then wash the skin, also using the calcium hydroxide in lime to remove the hair from the skin. Rosenblum points out that Mary's thigh skin probably wouldn't have been particularly hairy, but human pores run deeper from that of other animals. Mm. like cows pigs goats and so on yeah and some women are hairy on the thighs as well we did a patreon episode about one such monstrous <laughs> <woman>. <laughs> how dare she have human hair which is perfectly normal and most women actually do have that how dare she once an ex-boyfriend asked me if some women just don't have hair on their legs and it's like oh you sweet Darling baby child. Before peptide mass fingerprinting, which I'll get onto in a bit, it's the process by which you discover that a book is made out of people. It was by studying the pores on leather used to bind books that people tried to identify whether it was human or not. But it's not a very reliable method. 
It's true that different animals, including humans, have distinct follicle patterns. But during the tanning process, these patterns can get warped because the leather gets stretched and pulled. And like, the books are old, so age can wear away the follicle patterns. So it's just not a very good way of deciding if a book is human or not. Mm, okay. The tanner might then use a blunt knife to scrape away the remaining hair. So he'd alternate between scraping and lime to get the skin nice and hairless. Because <sighs> as you said, even in death, a woman still needs shaved legs <laughs> and then the step that follows is called baiting in which the leather is softened and enlarged so in this step digestive enzymes are used to remove grease and blood animal dung was the most commonly used ingredient for this which accounts for part of the smell that tanneries are associated with and still is to this day the really good leather is done in poop of varying varieties a lot of the time uh, guano mm. although it's mm. also true that you can use vegetables with high tannin content mm. like sumac and oak mm. i don't think it's really done very much today but it does seem to be what was used for mary lynch's skin so okay you've made your horrific human skin book <laughs> but let's say one comes into your hands how would you know mm. this is where megan rosenbloom comes in She's a member of the Anthropodermic Book Project, a small team that tests alleged human skin books using peptide mass fingerprinting, or PMF. She usually, she and her team would come, they'd remove an absolutely tiny specimen from the book, like barely a fleck. If you can see it with your naked eye, then it's too big. Hmm. And then they'd digest that little speck in an enzyme called trypsin. Now I'm going to say some sciencey words. Oh, tell me, Will. Are you ready for science? Mm. Tell me, Will, is science ready for you? <laughs> so this digested mixture is placed on a matrix-assisted laser desorption slash ionization plate, <sighs> which in turn is placed into a mass spectrometer. <gasps> spectrometer me, daddy. Lasers then irradiate. Irradiate oh, me, daddy. Irradiate. We really should not talk about science. No. Ever really. Science is for men, women, we should just do cooking. Oh no, we can't do cooking because cooking is also science. Bread scientists. Shit. Let's just sit around and be pretty instead. Lasers then irradiate the sample to identify its peptides, which are short strings of the amino acids that are the building blocks of proteins. So out of all of this, Rosenblum's team creates a peptide mass fingerprint, which can pin down the nature of the skin in question down to the species level. Mm -hmm. I liked that science. You scienced real good. Thank you. I was really torn. Like, do I get into the details and make this, you know, like a chemistry 101? Or do I just hope <laughs> that everyone understands that, which I do not? They just say words. Like, my brother's a scientist, and he would be able to help, except he doesn't listen to this podcast. So, no, it's fine, though. I don't cry about it. My partner explained this all to me while I was eating my protein scramble, but I wasn't <laughs> listening because I was eating my protein scramble. <laughs> Although I guess my breakfast was relevant to this episode. Yes. So if you're interested in the science behind this, the Anthropodermic Book Project does have a page on their process um, on their website, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It's very sciencey. <laughs> the big takeaway is that this process can help us to see if a book's leather binding comes from a cow, a pig, a goat, or a human. But what's very interesting, I say human, but I mean ape. The process oh. can't help us to tell the difference between human and ape leather because we're still too close to them in evolutionary time. Checkmate, Christians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's going to be what gets us cancelled. <laughs> 
So we're still too close to other apes in evolutionary time. But Rosenblum assures the reader that she's never come across an ape-bound book. So if the ape family comes up, then it's it's inevitably human. But Philippa, if if we exist, how also do monkeys still exist? <laughs> At the same time. Jesus, tell me, I don't understand. <laughs> it's a good thing that God is a man, because <laughs> he understands science. <laughs> Whereas I, a flawed woman, do not. No. DNA testing is also theoretically possible, and that could tell you more information. But it's also very expensive, and mm. librarians aren't rich. <laughs> and DNA is usually destroyed in the tanning process, oh. and it can be corrupted by other people handling the book. I think mm. there have been occasions where a book that's made out of cow skin, for example, has been thought to be human skin because human hands have handled the book. Ah, oh, yeah. So, eh. And I'm just imagining turning up to... I, I've. I don't know, the DNA store and with a book being like, <laughs> just like handing the book to them, looking upset. And the DNA shop owner is like, get out of here, you, and then chases you out with a broom. So what's interesting is that peptide mass fingerprinting can't differentiate between different races when it comes to human skin. And because humanity is terrible, <laughs> race certainly plays a part in anthropodermic biblia Peggy. Oh. I think it's Peggy. It could be Peggy. And I'm just, you know, I'm a fraud. <laughs> but before we get onto how race plays a part in skin books, shall we race on down to the workhouse? <laughs> <laughs> I know that you love me. No, I don't anymore. That was the one. That did it. Killed all affection in my soul. <laughs> you killed love, Philippa. So I think that we need to get in on this anthropodermic book business. We've got so many, you know, skin sacks filled with human stuff that are alive, like free range, you know? Well, they're not free range. They are inside, like slaving away, sewing and doing whatever workhouse people do, <laughs> which we shall one day find out. But for now, line up orphans. We have copies of London Labour and the London Poor to bind with your own skin because we too like irony. Skin grows back. We could just like sh shave a bit off you. So while we get going, there's always time for a little rumour mongering. Of course. Have you heard of Jasmine Wingert? Oh my, tell me more. In the history of anthropodermic Biblia Peggy, Jasmine's name is seldom mentioned, although she is a hero worth remembering. Jasmine was fully aware of the process of binding books in human skin, but she realized that there was a major problem with the whole thing. Namely, the books that were bound were boring. <laughs> Medical textbooks, trial notes, nothing appropriate for children. Where were the children's skin books, Jasmine Think asked. Think of the children! Think of the children. And I mean, by that I mean books for children, not books of children, because it gets a little blurry, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Jasmine felt the stirrings of a true vocation and decided that she would be the one to introduce anthropodermic bibliopegy to the world of children's literature. Wonderful. Of course, Jasmine wasn't a monster, and she wasn't going to steal skin from those who couldn't or wouldn't consent. And so, 
During her life, she had her skin tattooed with endearing pictures of Clifford the Big Red Dog <gasps> and Spot and creatures of the Hundred Acre Wood. <laughs> and upon her death, these beautifully tattooed pieces of skin were used to bind books beloved by children so that they might be enjoyed all the more wholesome. Aww. So thank you, Jasmine, for nurturing the dreams of children and fulfilling our dreams as well by being our patron. It's like that children's book, The Illustrated Mum. I can't remember who it's by, Jacqueline something, but... I loved that when I was a kid. Yeah, so thanks, Jasmine. That's amazing. I would have loved that book more if it had been bound in human skin. As would I, Pip. As would I. If you want to join our patron... Patreon, I can't word, then find us at patreon.com forward slash awful forever podcast, or you can twaddle twat twoot at us. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can twit at us at awful forever pod. So we've talked a little about human skin being used to bind books, although women were hardly the only ones to give up their skins consensually or otherwise. But what's interesting to me is when the source of the skin is advertised. It's usually only the marginalized skins that are specifically mentioned. (laughs) So women, people of color, criminals, you know, like the... The The riffraff, the weirdos, (laughs) the non-default, which is men. The quote-unquote check other. (laughs) A number of alleged anthropodermic books advertise being bound in black skin, but... Rosenblum mentions that these books inevitably turn out to be fake. So, peptide mass fingerprint process, it can't tell the difference between races, but it can tell when a book isn't human. And whenever a book advertises being bound in the skin of a person of color, it inevitably turns out to be calf skin or something else, not human skin. Come on. People of color already have it really rough. Can we at least (laughs) make sure that we have skin books? Where are their skin? (laughs) Representation matters. Let's not get into that. (laughs) It's it's a weird topic where you're like, oh, they they deserve skin books, which... No, they don't. (laughs) What? So these alleged anthropodermic books bound in black skin, inevitably they turn out to be fake. Mm. And one example that Rosenblum mentions is that of Crispus Attucks, the first man to die in the Boston Massacre in 1770. His father and mother were African and Native American, respectively. I tried to find out the specific tribe that his mother came from, but I have to admit I couldn't find any information that I'd be confident about stating, so... Mm, That's a shame. What's interesting is... The pocketbook bought by Henry Welcome later on, which bears a label stating, and I am sorry because it does involve a word that I don't like saying, but the cover of this book is made of tanned skin of the Negro whose execution caused the War of Independence. Because that's a book you want to buy. That sounds amazing. Put that on the list next to the Om Nom Nom Con. I... I think you just said as well, like, it wasn't, it's not the N word, but it is so adjacent to that and it still has the same connotations, but uh, tiptoeing around and it feels terrible, but you know, it does exist. So that's that. Although this book hasn't been tested, it's long been considered a fake. But these fake books, they really just ask the questions, why lie about this kind of thing? Yeah. For money? 
because rarity makes something more valuable. Yeah. But this book was purchased for three pounds, which comes to about $170 today. Mm. So that's not a huge. Yeah, it's not a huge amount. Was it for the prestige somehow? Or because maybe collectors might find the skin of a person of color quote unquote exotic. So <laughs> 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 Rosenblum mentions that she's never come across a skin advertised for its whiteness. But that's because whiteness is generally taken to be the default. So that might be one yeah. reason. But other times people use human skin to fabricate racial propaganda. A piece of parchment um, encountered by Rosenblum states, This is the skin of a white man taken by an Indian, <laughs> sculpted and skinned alive, belly cut out, tied to a bed of coals and roasted to death. A white skin, if took, is prize of tribe. The Indian from Ulysses use pale skin for money. <laughs> we are ordered to Albany if we keep our skin. <laughs> Seventeen brave men are lost. Some are sick. General Sullivan's army, Luke Swartland of Wyoming, September 13th, 1779. Oh <laughs> Which sounds exactly like what I would expect to hear out of the mouth of an outright. Yep. <laughs> like, and there was actually a Luke Swetland who matches the circumstances mentioned on this parchment. And he was, I think, more than once abducted by native american tribes but he ultimately escaped 14 months later and wrote in his diary or something about how he was treated very nicely actually mm. with kindness and respect <laughs> so it's not his skin and he probably didn't write that stuff on it mm. you just have to ask again why would somebody make up a lie like that which we find on a piece of parchment which was cowhide by the mm. way is it money the desire to demonize a people different to your own to justify your own people's brutality so for my last skin book, I thought I'd finish up with the tale of an idiot, because we love an idiot. William Corder was the son of a wealthy farmer who was romantically involved with a young woman called Maria Martin, who bore him an illegitimate child that didn't survive very long. And what was problematic about this, aside from the grief of losing a child straight after giving birth to it, is that sex and childbearing out of marriage were bad things. Yes. Don't do it. Stop it. Tell me, Will. How, I, don't, I don't know. I have a call back. <laughs> Tell me, Will, would you like to have sex and bear children with me because I'm Hannibal Lecter and I love you so much? Because <laughs> I'm Hannibal Lecter and I have a, a female womb that we could probably make it work somehow. I just need to get out the fridge first. <laughs> Word was spreading. And Corda got a little worried that Maria might get into trouble. So he was like, you might want you know, get out of here. <laughs> but Maria reminded him that it takes two to blow the groundsels, and so they decided to flee to Ipswich together to get married so that it would be retroactively okay. <laughs> and off they went, with Maria disguised up as a man, wearing man's clothing that she'd hopefully remove at the courthouse, because that might cause unnecessary confusion in the 1820s. <laughs> <laughs> I wish to get married to that lovely young man. <laughs> she didn't remove her earrings, though, and she wore a green handkerchief around her neck. What a silly biddy! They met at the Red Barn, which belonged to William, and where he said he had a carriage waiting for them. But after the couple had apparently gone off to Ipswich, Maria's brother said that he'd seen William around there holding a pickaxe. And William was like, ya doink, it was probably my neighbor or something. But then William's neighbor, Mrs. Stowe, was surprised to see him still there around harvest time, helping his mother. And William was like, oh, no, uh, Maria lives, um, nearby. Mm-hmm. 
So Mrs. Stowe asked if Maria was going to have any more children now that they were married, to which William replied with, Maria Martin will have no more children. (coughs) So Mrs. Stowe was like, but Maria's still young, and in this day and age, women have absolutely no choice but to have children, because that's what gives life meaning, so are you sure? And he said, believe me. She will have no more. She will be young for all time. She has had her number. (gasps) So Mrs. Stowe asked if Maria was living far away, and he said, No, she is not far from us. I can go to her whenever I like. And I know that when I am not with her, no one else is. Oh. So Mrs. Stowe said, You killed her, didn't you? (laughs) <laughs> and William said, yes, I mean, no. Yeah, I did, I did, a little bit, a little bit. You got me. <laughs> I'm so clever at coming up with witty responses to your incessant questions. <laughs> I wrote them all down. I wrote these scenarios out and just, you know, to have witty responses. And you said some of them. Would you like to hear the rest? And she was like, Will, Will, are you okay? And he went, tell me, Will. Ah, oh, shit, Will's Ow. my own name. That's your line. Could you, could you, could you please just say that, please? <laughs> so a year went by and no one heard from Maria. Her mother, however, kept dreaming of the red barn, fearing that Maria was buried there. True enough, they found her body there, complete with the earrings and green handkerchief that would help identify her. Oh. The murderer, William, obviously was found living in London with a wife that he got by placing an ad in the Times, and they just felt the need to put that in. But then he was executed in Bury St. Edmunds. Oh, good. His trial was very sensational. But as a criminal, his body was given to surgeons for dissection, and his skin was used to bind the book describing his child. Huh. Sorry, his child? His trial! <laughs> I am, I have children's books on the brain now. I love, like, just describing his child. Like, what book would that be? Just the book of how this kid looks. A book of baby names. (laughs) So this was incredibly common, with the most famous example, and I hope that this is the name written on your toilet roll slash envelope. I have it. I did actually write it down. It's in my hands. I wish I could take a picture and, like, show it now, but my phone is over there, but just you'll just have to believe me. Of William Burke? Yes! whose own book, made from his skin, bound in his skin, can be seen at Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh. And what's Hmm. interesting about Scotland, by the way, is that, oh, I didn't write this down, so I'm going to have to try it from memory, but it's actually illegal to display anything made out of human body parts. Oh. Like, I think England has less strict laws. It's something to do, oh, I don't know, with like age and when it was made and why it was made, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to be reliable on that. But Scotland is much more strict. Mm. And a special exception was made for Surgeon's Hall. Huh. Can I tell you, because I want to go um, fuck around in the woods and look for bones, about how it's illegal to own certain kinds of bones. So it's like, I could own a badger skull and bones, but I cannot own an otter. Because otters are cute. (laughs) It's, I think it's to stop people from killing them to, you know, display them. Mm -hmm. So it's like more the protected species you can't have because yeah everyone wants to have the exotic thing well i guess you'll have to look for the bones of something other than Uh, that stop badgering (laughs) (laughs) we both need to go to jail yes (laughs) okay 
So I guess binding books in the skins of criminals makes for a kind of poetic justice. Mm. But to finish up, there are a lot of questions about the ethics concerning keeping these anthropodermic books. Some scholars are incredibly against the idea, like Paul Needham, who I think he's just recently retired, but he was a librarian at Princeton University. He refers to some of the books made out of women's skin as an act of post-mortem rape. Mm. And I personally disagree with his choice of words, yeah. but I do understand his intent, and I'll include a link in the show notes to his statement. Because we really should be asking ourselves, should we be keeping these books? And not just the ones made out of women's skin, but do we have the right to hold on to any of them, really, when consent yeah. wasn't given? Yeah. It's like that Patreon episode I did about the man with the corpse bride. Ooh, join our Patreon, it's a doozy. <laughs> but it's like, she was non-consensually stolen, he kept her corpse forever, and then once that once he was arrested, or was he, it's a really good episode. Then her hideous, mannequin, non-consensual corpse was displayed instead mm. of buried and, you know, given dignity. And there is a lot of pressure recently behind museums to repatriate human remains. Yeah. Like, um, for example, a number of museums are returning the Toy Moko. I think I pronounced that correctly. But it's the preserved tattooed heads of the Maori. Oh, and yeah. a number of museums spontaneously or otherwise are returning those heads to New Zealand. Mm. And what about Egyptian mummies? I was going to say, like, the British Museum, because we just went all around the room, all around the world, and was like, that is mine now. So, like, Tutankhamun and things like that belong to the British Museum. No, they don't. Get it <laughs> fucking back to Egypt. <laughs> you stole it. And again, like, what about anthropodermic books? Because do, I mean, with the with the Egyptian mummies, at least, they were voluntarily mummified. And the question is just about, yeah. you know, where should they belong? And yeah. I believe that they should belong in Egypt. But with the anthropodermic books, if somebody didn't give their permission to be turned into a book, mm -hmm. should we be keeping it? Some people even call for the books to be buried, oh, which yeah. would be a strange funeral, but... <laughs> So this is a topic where I struggle to come to an opinion, because on the one hand, I think that all historical artifacts should be preserved, because you never know what information we might be able to extract from them in the future, because yeah. we're constantly getting new technologies, like this peptide mass fingerprinting. Mm -hmm. History, it's such a frustrating and fascinating subject, because... There are so many holes in our knowledge, and any new discovery is exciting. But I do also wonder if we have the right to hold on to certain artifacts, especially those made out of non-consensual human remains, and mm. whether we're just rationalizing our keeping them in the name of knowledge at any costs. Just like, you know, the British Museum is like, well, Greece can't have the Elgin marbles back because you might not take care of them. Mm. Mm. What if something happens to them? We'll take care of them, stroking them with the destructive oils on their fingers. <laughs> so I don't really have an answer because my own opinion is still in the process of being formed. But yeah. I think something we should be thinking about. And tell me, Will, how does the keeping of non-consensual books reflect on your <laughs> own life? But tell me, Will, are you ready for knowledge at any cost? <laughs> You're way better at this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that is books bound in human skin i love it i want this is so grim that i do want those kind of awful items 
But then, yeah, as long as they're consensual, like, you know, medical, people have donated their bodies for, for medical purposes. Great, give me that shit. But then, you know, some of these things are so old, can you really be, like, how consensual was it? And, and if you can never know. Oh, everything is complicated. <laughs> Everything is complicated and awful forever. I think what we need to do is promise our bodies to each other. Yes. I mean, our skins. Sorry, our skins to each other. <laughs> when I when I die, you may have my skin to bind a book. Well, I would love that. And I love that you are admitting that you will indeed die first. <laughs> I just assume it, Jess. <laughs> At some point, you're going to be like... Feeding Hannibal should have been my cookbook. <laughs> and then you'll murder me and you'll cook me and use my skin to bind the cookbook. We have already said, I can't remember when, but I'm, I'm just like folding in all of our products now, but in like a previous episode that I will wear you as a skin pelt. Kind of like, you know, how hunters have like a bear <laughs> thing with like your head on top of mine and like your arms just kind of like draped around me like a, like a beautiful Philippa stole. <laughs> Well, speaking of... How you stole my heart. <laughs> Some things will be nice or have been nice sometimes. Yes, I have started a new job. Dog walking. For the goodest boys. For the goodest boys. I'm already walking my dog anyway, so I may as well be out there making money for it. And so far, I've just been doing it last week. It's been so good. Just like just hanging out with all these good, good, good dogs. It's so much better than a service job that involves humans because dogs yeah. are so much better. I just slightly involve humans. The bad thing is, is that I need to get a car and then remember how to drive. And every single person that has asked me, why do you need a car? To to walk dogs. And Dog walking doesn't just, like, I don't just go to Enid around the corner and walk her pampered Pekingese for five minutes. Dog walking is like you have to go and collect people's dogs. You've got six dogs, and then you go and walk those dogs, and then you return the dogs. So that's why you need a car. <laughs> I thought it was because you weren't really walking them. You were just driving around letting their heads hang out the windows. Oh, they do love that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, so cute. So that was some things will be nice sometimes because I'm still kind of in training. They're teaching you how to walk. I mean, Rona times be hard. My current sort of freelance arting wasn't making enough anymore. So I need this to kind of supplement. I'm not stopping my art and making of things. So there'll still be things in the Speakeasy Storehouse on Etsy, for instance, or Devil's Roost dice.com where you can get my D&D dice and also my arts but just to make ends meet right now and also get to play with a lot of doggos well with that heartwarming off we go off we go to continue the curing process of the skin and the soul tell me will are you ready to be cured is it better than the disease will Keep going. The disease being my penis. <laughs> <laughs> and stop.